kind of what does it mean to hear from God. And we really want to hit on this point because a lot of times um, hearing from God doesn't necessarily mean using your ears or even your mind's ear, if you know what I'm talking about. The way you can see things in your mind by imagining it, you can also kind of imagine hearing things, but it doesn't always, it doesn't always come across like that when, when you're hearing from God. Um, he, because God, God's a very intensely creative individual, and I mean that in the best of ways. He, he has a number of ways that he talks to us, and we can see it through Scripture. Um, in addition to just speaking plainly, God is also known to speak bluntly to the point of harshness. He's um, also, he also answered the Pharisees several times. Jesus answered the Pharisees several times with questions and actually riddles that even with hundreds of years of uh, hindsight and help of the Holy Spirit, we still stumble, stumble over those occasionally. Um, he's familiar with the use of sarcasm. We can find it in Scripture. God speaks sarcastically. And the entire book of Psalms, the, you know, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, however you want to call it, God expresses his truth through lyrics, through songs. Um, with the prophet Jeremiah, when he was starting Jeremiah's ministry, um, God gave him the vision of an almond branch. And when Jeremiah said, I see an almond branch, God said, you saw correctly because I'm watching to see that my word is done correctly. What? <laughs> and then you look, at the, look, you look at the Hebrew, and it was a wordplay because their word for almond branch sounded like the word for watch. And so it'd be sort of like if God gave you the vision of like a pocket watch. And you're like, God, I see a pocket watch. And it's like, right, because I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching to see what happens. So the, the idea is just that we really need to let go of preconceived notions about hearing these and thous and sinners in the hands of an angry God. And instead be ready to listen to all kinds of different ways that God might choose to try to communicate with us. Because our experience in this little you know, corner of the universe is that very commonly God speaks softly to us. So softly it might just be this sort of gentle tugging feeling in our stomach that makes us feel like maybe we're supposed to go over there and talk to that person. So that's what I mean when I'm saying I want to define the subject. It really, hearing from God is a work of God's prophetic power. But that makes it sound really up here when really it, it can be a common everyday experience. For me, it's a lot like having an invisible Bluetooth on the side of my head um, that has God on speed dial. I can just talk to him whenever I want. And sometimes he calls me back. And I try to be attentive when that happens because it's so easy in our daily life to just hear that phone buzz and say, can't get that right now. <laughs> so um, it's very, very important. Um, there, there's been a lot of times that this has been so helpful to me in my day-to-day -day life, this ability to connect and hear from God. There was a time back when I was in college, I was having a bad day, woke up on the wrong side of bed, and I was just cranky. I was angry. I was beyond irritable. I was inconsolable, really. Every little thing was setting me off, and I couldn't take it on anyone else. It wasn't their fault. I knew that, but I was still angry, and so my ability to talk to God, it starts bleeding over into that channel. I start blaming God for everything and chewing him out, and then I immediately start feeling bad because I'm like, you didn't deserve that either, <laughs> and I got through my classes. I got home, and I sat down in my bed, and I was like, God, I feel so ashamed of myself. Why can I not 
control my feelings. And I felt him in that moment just very directly tell me, just stop. Stop for a moment and be quiet. Um, I knew it wasn't shut up. He was telling me, try to, try to calm down for a moment. And I'm like, okay. So I close my eyes and I take that breath. And I just about immediately start fighting the need to fall asleep. And I'm like, God, am I back in kindergarten? I'm angry and cranky because I need a nap. <laughs> Sometimes it's that simple. <laughs> um, and it, it, there's nothing too big or small that God isn't concerned about in your life. There are things that he has a bigger priority of than what you might have because he has a different perspective. But um, it's really just that, that importance of understanding the, the way that God is very in, in, interested in, in everything and about our lives. And it's very important to be very attentive to what he's doing because the next story about hearing from God from my own life kind of comes from a moment that he wasn't using words. In fact, he wasn't deliberately you know, speaking directly to me. I, I kind of overheard something he was doing. I was at the Christian Campus Fellowship back in college. It was my junior year this time. Um, and I was just attending their little, uh, their little Thursday night service. And they had guest speakers for their national, uh, national missionary convention that was happening in Atlanta, Georgia that year. If you're familiar with it, that was the last year they used that name. Since then, they've changed it to the International Conference on Missions. It's the same event. Um, but they had p speakers there because they were trying to uh, draw up interest from the students to see if anyone wanted to come and to learn about the various different missionary you know, ministries that were going on and see if they could maybe recruit people that might want to do like a missions group instead of like doing a summer internship or something like that. And while I'm sitting there listening to them, and it's all interesting, interesting but not me, you know, the way that everyone feels at one of those sorts of talks. Um, and then I start to feel this irrepressible kind of giggle inside me. And... Of course, I don't want to distract anyone, and so I'm trying to push it away, and it keeps coming back. And then I stop, and I start rationalizing. I'm like, okay, am I thinking of something funny? Did they just say something funny? And I start to realize there's no reason. And I'm like, okay, there's no reason. Random feelings happen, so I'm just going to put it aside, and then I'm going to be okay. And then it comes back. And I'm like, okay, God, I can't figure this out. And so I call him up, and I'm like, God, what's going on? And it, it's coming from him. I'm getting bleed through from his side of things. And that surprised me because in all my time kind of consistently talking to him, God's too cool for school. God made the cool. He made the school. What's he got to be excited about? <laughs> I can be excited. I can be like, God, this is so awesome. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's great, Ben. But this, he had an excitement he couldn't fully contain. And I got curious. What is it? What is it that he's so excited about that, that he has this mirthful feeling that he wants me to know about, I guess? And so I start paying attention, and I start to realize that it's got something to do with this conference. That makes sense. It's got a lot of missionary stuff. I guess he's involved in it. But I start to realize, <laughs> I start to realize that this isn't just the typical day-to-day -day Sunday stuff that we do every week. God's doing something very special, something very different here. And so I realize I really need to go to this thing and figure out what it is.
So I do. Um, and I learned a lot of stuff. I could do an entire sermon just about the different things that God talked to me about through the different workshops. But there was one, especially when I'm talking about hearing from God, I went to this one workshop from a team that's doing Bible translation, and I felt a deep impression that I was called, my life calling is to be a Bible translator. Now, let me unpack that a little bit, because deep impression can mean a lot of things. But I had always thought that the expression pulling on my heartstrings was a metaphor, but I realized actually now there's a spiritual truth behind it, because God pulled on my heartstrings. And it wasn't just grabbing a clump of heartstrings and just pulling on it. He very methodically reached past several of them, pushing them to the side, and I could feel in my heart my motivations and my loves and my interests being pushed to the side, and then he grabbed onto the central root one. I didn't know I had a central root heartstring that is the, the foundation of them all, but he grabbed it, and then he just gently tugged on it to let me know it was there. And in that moment, in that context, it became just profoundly clear. I'm not just being called to Bible translation. I was made for it. That this inside of me is my most fundamental desire to help people understand God's message more clearly. Um, and that was, that was profound. That really changed my life. Um, I, I really, it's great knowing my purpose this early in my life. But some of you probably out there know that right now I'm working at the Walmart Distribution Center over in St. James, unloading boxes and not using my bachelor's degree in physics. <laughs> so why am I not over in some third world country uh, helping translate the Bible right now? The short answer is because I feel like I've received instruction from God that he wants to get me paid off on my student debt before he puts me into that role. But I actually, the answer to why is actually something I want to unpack a little bit more. So I want to jump into the Bible here um, to talk about some of the other people in Scripture who have also heard from God and had mixed um, experiences with that. I want, to start, I want to start by talking about Moses in Exodus 2. We're going to have the verses up here on the screen behind me in case you don't have a Bible, but feel free to follow along with me. I want to talk about specifically the part of Moses' story that your Sunday school teacher and the ones upstairs probably are going to skip because it's the part where Moses straight up murders someone. Um, oh, the... the, the, the the movie, the animated movie, tried to gloss over this a little bit gently, too. They tried to make it look like an accident. It wasn't. It wasn't. So, Exodus 2, starting in verse 11. In the course of time, Moses grew up, and then he went to see his own people, and, watch him, and he watched them suffering under forced labor. He saw a Hebrew, one of his own people, being beaten by an Egyptian. So he looked around this way, that way, and he didn't see anyone. He beat the Egyptian to death and hid the body in the sand. When Moses went to the same spot the next day, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. And he asked the one who started the fight, why are you beating another Hebrew? The man can kind of imagine the tone in this interaction. Well, who made you our ruler and judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought that everyone knew what he had done. And then when Moses did hear what Moses had done. He tried to have him killed. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. So I would suggest that this is actually 
an example of what not to do when trying to listen to God. Let's be clear. God certainly felt the same desire. I mean, Moses literally just went through the town and saw the way that, is, that Israel was being oppressed and felt that same desire. I've got to do something about this. And let's be fair. In just a few chapters, God's going to murder a lot of Egyptians. So what did Moses do wrong here exactly? That's a bit of a tough question. <laughs> so I feel like there's one important point. I feel like Moses maybe kind of got ahead of the, the game plan here. I think maybe he felt the will of God and saw what needed to be done and then just decided to do whatever, whatever rationally worked best in that moment. But have you ever... Have you ever tried to do God's will and maybe forgot to stop and ask him how he wanted it done? Yeah, that gets us into trouble pretty quickly. So this is kind of the first half of the pendulum. In most every sort of task that we try to get ourselves into, there's usually a right path. Then off to the left and right are the major errors that you know, we tend to slip into and then overcorrect into the other one. That's the pendulum. And when listening to God, the pendulum that I tend to see most frequently is the one voice that wants to try to automatically validate everything we feel. God gives me the desires of my heart, so if I want it, then God wants me to have it. Starts again in the prosperity gospel. I should eat all the sugar and crap I want because I want it. <laughs> Got to be careful with the auto-validation of everything. But then, of course... As we see with Moses, when he failed, he kind of swings immediately off into the other direction, into the auto-invalidation. Oh, God would never talk to me. God, I'm not good enough for any of that. Or whatever, whatever criteria comes with that of the reasons why God doesn't talk to people. God wouldn't talk to me. I'm not a pastor. So I want to I kind of show how this manifests with Moses. Let's jump into the next part of his story. Exodus 3, starting in verse 7. The Lord said, and this, at this point he's talking to Moses after he lured Moses in through a burning bush. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. This actually sounds a bit like Moses walking through Egypt just a little bit ago. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. I know how much they're suffering. And I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a land, to a good land with plenty of room for everyone, a land flowing with milk and honey, with a bunch of names that I probably shouldn't try to say. But skipping ahead to verse 10 a little bit, God says, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you can bring my people Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? You were the guy to kill an Egyptian, beat him to death, and bury his body in the sand. I don't know. There it is, the other end of the pendulum. Moses thought his failure invalidated him so much so that he overlooked the fact that he was honored with an incredible, miraculous sign of God appearing to him in a physically manifested burning bush. So I want to ask you another question. Have you ever thought, God, following you would be easier if you gave an audible and or visible sign? 
let's be honest, I have. I'm still waiting to see the pink lightning that I asked about, but I've, I've kind of let that go. Um, he'll probably make it happen some point later in a, in a moment of dramatic irony to remind me of how foolish I was. Um, but seriously, let's, let's think about that again. Would it actually be easier to believe and obey God if he was just a little less subtle in his instructions? If you do, if some part of you is kind of like holding on to that, I, I have a scripture for you. Um, the Gospels are chock full of examples of Jesus drawing away to quiet and lonely places to talk to God. But I actually want to bring up one of the instances where God thundered his voice. Um, for the context, this next passage from John takes place in the last week before Passover where Christ was going to be crucified. So <laughs> the crowd in this story has come for the Passover festival. Like you can imagine the people coming to Times Square in New York City to celebrate New Year's. They came for this festival, and Jesus just got done with his triumphal entry, people shouting, Hosanna, save us. And the Pharisees were literally just saying they didn't think they could do anything to Jesus because of how much the crowds loved him. He's getting killed on Friday. Meanwhile, Jesus is super stressed out because he knows he's going to be killed on Friday. And you thought you had a stressful week coming up. So... John chapter 12, starting in verse 27, he's talking to this crowd that loves him to pieces and he's super stressed out. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him, and Jesus told them, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Notice he didn't say this thunder was for your benefit. This voice was for your benefit. Helping Vince with the Sockham group, we just heard Putty Putman teach on this passage, and I had to share it with you if I'm ever talking on hearing from God. I want to draw your attention to how we're told that a voice from heaven spoke in a clear legible sentence in direct response to Jesus with words that made rational sense as a reply, people heard it and they still decided that's some weird thunder. So if you were ever taught or thought that maybe the crowd was confused because maybe the Holy Spirit was just kind of like hiding the truth from them, saying it's like that was, that was for Jesus, not, not for mortals. Jesus outright told them that was for you. I already know. So what, bringing this kind of back to that, like how do we hear from God, one thing that we need to understand is that it's not going to be easier just because God raises his voice. And so that brings me to one of my other points. When listening to God, you can't just trust your own senses. You have to cultivate a skill of becoming aware of and sensitive to God's voice. And I don't think this concept is expressed better anywhere in Scripture than in the story of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings. Now, for some context, the most famous story about Elijah is the time that he completely shows up a bunch of priests of some false gods and has God rain fire from heaven and burn up an altar that's literally covered in water to make it harder for God to burn it up. The rulers, the idolatrous rulers, threaten Elijah that they're going to kill him, and he gets so scared, he runs himself nearly to death before ending up 
at Mount Horeb, which was called the Mountain of God. So let's pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, the second half of verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The word of the Lord could have come in the wind, the earthquake or the fire, but God chose not to. Instead, he chooses to present himself as a gentle whisper. God has more right to grandstand over everyone and everything than anyone else does, but time and time again, we see his desire to speak softly to us. Make us draw a little closer. And I want to start drawing some conclusions out of some of these passages. I hate to stand up here and tell you the key to knowing God's voice is you know it when you hear it. That's, that's utterly unhelpful to someone who's unsure. But it's also scripturally true based on what Jesus himself said, John 10, 27, a couple other places, but he says, you know, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. But despite how unhelpful that knowledge is when you're uncertain, we do still have tools that help guide us into developing a reliable sense of when we're accurately hearing from God. And it comes from a few, you know, rule of thumb guidelines. You can compare whatever you're hearing, whatever you're perceiving to scriptures. God is not going to tell you something that directly contradicts what he just wrote in the book. Amen. This includes a general theme of scriptures. Uh, in general, a true word from God will tend to exalt Christ and encourage the body, the assembly. So if you feel like you're hearing some special word of gossip about that person's sin, you're probably not hearing from God. Probably not. Um, obedience to God's word will also always result in the growth of the gifts of, or the, I'm sorry, the fruits of the spirit. The gifts and the fruits are similar but different subjects. It will result in the growth of the fruits of the spirit in your life. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, joy. joy. Love having Paige here for that. <laughs> um, so basically, if, if the word you're receiving doesn't create an increase of those virtues in your life, it probably didn't come from God. He's not encouraging you to just let loose in your drug habit. That doesn't help your joy, your peace, or your self-control. Another um, good kind of rule of thumb is sharing what you feel like you're hearing from God with fellow believers. Sometimes they'll receive a word from God saying, yeah, that sounds right. Or, no, no, I think we should be more careful and kind of listen to this a little bit longer. Um, they might receive a word directly in reply to what you're feeling, or they can like pray with you and help God kind of communicate that word more clearly. Um, but this is especially true for sharing it with church leaders. I personally believe that no pope has a closer relationship to God than I do because the Holy Spirit is poured out equally on all creation. 
But God also establishes worldly authorities, especially in the church. God anoints people to disciple others. And that's exactly what church leaders are. When you feel like you might be hearing this thing and you hope it's from God or you're afraid it's from God, that's the perfect time to bring it to your church leaders because that's their job is to help sort of help cultivate that. So wrapping up, there's a few things. Like I kind of jumped all over the, the field with this because I could honestly probably do like 12 sermons on it if you gave me enough time. But just to kind of wrap up, tying everything together into one cohesive picture, when you're trying to listen, from, listen to God and hear from him, you're probably already hearing from him in some way because he's probably gently trying to attract your attention in your day-to-day life. The first thing is to start letting go of your preconceived ideas about how God will present himself. Next is to understand that when he speaks softly, it's designed to prompt you to draw closer and listen to him a little bit better. Next, be wary of the desire to validate everything you feel just because it might be from God. Also be wary of the desire to invalidate everything because it might not be God. His word will not contradict scripture. His word will not contradict the church's health. His word will not contradict your health. If you're still in doubt, get help. That's what we're here for.